Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and uh, it's a brand new month, and we're going to kick off April with uh, somebody I've been hoping to get on Deep Cuts for a while now. So it's Mr. Omar DeFrius from Fratello. And so let me bring on our guest. What's up? Omar, What's up? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me over, man. Yeah, thank you. Like I said, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while now. Yeah, no, this is good, man. I, uh, I'm glad we finally were able to make it happen, and uh, um, I appreciate your patience and obviously your interest in having us on. So, can't wait to have a great show, man. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I've followed you in the industry for probably as long as I've been in the industry, and yeah. you've had such an interesting story that uh, I'm looking forward to sharing that story with everyone else. So, um, like I said, it's, it's definitely a, a off the off the wall, offbeat story um, from based on everyone else. So I'm looking forward to uh, diving in and going deep with uh, what your story is. For sure. Now, I guess before we dive into, there are certain things that most people know about you and that the biggest thing is that you used to work for NASA. Yeah. So <laughs> tell us about your life before for Tello Cigars, like, what were your interests? Obviously, it was the NASA part, but what were some of your interests that kind of led you to NASA and then what led you to the cigar industry? Yeah, so um, so many things led me down this path um, that is kind of hard to always say, you know, there was this this one particular situation that was, you know, that really made it happen for me. But it really was a combination like all I really wanted to do, uh, I'm not going to lie, was just to play basketball. And one, like that's that was my that was my goal, and I wanted to be a basketball player. Um, I, uh, as a matter of fact, you know what? Since I am in my home, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna give you like a little uh, little tour to make it even a little more interesting. So awesome. that's actually me right there. I'm not sure if you guys can see it very well or not, but that's uh, six foot nine. You know, 19 year old Omar trying to. Uh, <laughs> Trying to make it in the world of basketball, which, by the way, it's uh, it's incredibly hard. Should have should have gone for baseball, um, but it was it was good, man, because it it allowed me a lot uh, a good experience of like, you know, connecting with like, you know, figuring out a way that I can play as a team um, where it's not all about me. And so that to me, that experience was massive. I try to get my kids to try to see if they can do any team sports because that obviously allows them um to to see broader than yourself i think that's one of the things that allowed me to excel at my previous job and do great at what i'm doing right now with fratello um but the reality is it's like i i got injured um while playing ball and for any athlete any professional athlete it it's a it's a big deal when you get injured so young because you have so much to look forward to. There's, there, I mean, I was 19 years old, you know what I mean? And so it was one of those situations that... That made it so hard for, for, for just to basically, you know, as you are as you are developing yourself as a professional athlete and making sure that you are giving it your all, which is what you do when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, this is 
the hunger area, right? I mean, there's no in between. Getting injured was a fatal shot to me, and so um, I, 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 it was, it was kind of hard to get from there to figure out how I, how was I, I was able, able to basically get back into into the game. But in that process, I said, well, I mean, I guess I gotta, I gotta do go to school and see if I can get a good job at some point. So. Um, I ended up uh, graduating in the Dominican Republic and uh, uh, graduating with a degree in marketing in the DR and hotel management. And I ended up going into University of Puerto Rico, uh, graduated with an MBA there. I had an, um, I went to RIT and I graduated from um, in a business degree in international relations. So it allowed me to um, kind of like progress, obviously getting injured, a lot of me progressing through the study in the educational field and uh, ended up at NASA in 2004 after that. So, I mean, you obviously are super tall because I know that when I saw you at TPE a couple weeks ago and we took a picture together, I kind of look like you're a mini me uh, compared <laughs> to you. So, uh, you're like a robot here, right? Probably even lower than that. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I was like, wow. Like, so, yeah. But, um, Definitely. So you, what was it like working at NASA? Because I think we, we hear about it, but to be honest, NASA is not an agency you hear a lot about anymore because when you're talking about the space stuff, it's always kind of outside of NASA now. So what was it like working in NASA? Yeah, so NASA is still playing a major role in, in, in this and in, in, in obviously in um in the research and development side of the house when it comes to the space program. Um, what we, what, what for me was the biggest thing is the development that they did with me. Um, they invested well over $350,000 and um, during my career and development and leadership, um, they put me in a fast track leadership development program when I was just like 26 years old. Um, and that allowed me, that really, really, really allowed me to excel, um, and start growing and going up the ranks pretty fast. Like I was along with a kid, a 32 year old kid from, um, Palo Alto, California. There were only two GS 15s, which is in the federal government scale. It's very interesting how it happens. Like you go from a GS one to a GS 15 being the highest level in the federal government with responsibilities and also pay. Um, so I was able to grow from a GS nine, which is when I came into the government to like a, I, uh, I was, I barely made 30 and I was already, you know, a GS 15, right? So it was the average age of a GS 15 in the government is about 50 years old. Um, so this young kid out of Palo Alto and myself were the only ones. And I think it was, it had a lot to do with the education process that, and the rigorous education process that we went through. I mean, I, I, Went to Stanford. I went to uh, University of Pennsylvania in Wharton for, you know, select courses and classes. And so that really allowed me to grow. And so my last position at NASA was I was managing a $5 billion budget for science. Uh, I was the director of the uh, of resources for execution of that budget. And before that, I was managing a $4.5 billion procurement um, out of IT, uh, uh, the chief information officer in the agency. So I was put into really interesting and challenging uh, uh, positions, but I think that would allow me to excel over anything else. It's just, I, I, I did my job. <laughs> it's gonna sound crazy to do, but I just did. I did, I, I wasn't afraid to ask for more. And so that, that helped me grow 
through the stages of, of work quite a bit. So at what point did you get into the whole cigar thing or like, I'm sure you started off as a consumer of cigars. Yeah. And then obviously there was a light bulb moment that led you to say, I think I could take this even further or I want to take this even further. So yeah. how you start off as a, what, how did you get into cigars in general as a consumer? And then how did you make that transition into the business side of it? Yeah. So, so I was, I, I've been a cigar smoker since I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, I grew up next to a retail shop in the Dominican Republic. And uh, one of the things that I thought was incredible to you and me was the, the, the pedigree, the, the, the outside view, the nice hats, the, nice cars and my grandpa smoking a cigar and there was a lady bringing him coffee. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, this sounds like the life, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm going over and he's playing ball, you know, bouncing my ball as I'm walking through the court and I see this and, you know, my eyes get super big. And so, um, I, I went on a very early age. Um, I was 15 years old. The first time I came into the humidor, I was like, Hey, let me get a cigar. I was like, six foot five already so it's not like i could not pass as a as an adult but the guy knew my mother was like bro if i sell you a cigar your mother will hang me okay upside down and then slap me so no get the hell out of here so he kept on but i kept on going in because i was just fascinated by it and one time he just invited me over and i was watching a guy perform his art and i was fascinated it was just a tabaqueo he was breaking the tobacco. He was working. He was rolling, getting the, getting his hands dirty, and I could not believe that a whole bunch of dry leaves he could put this beautiful uh, um, this beautiful cigar together. And so that fascinated me. I ended up actually becoming a regular in that store, and you know, really getting behind the bandwagon of smoking premium cigars uh, early on. So I fast forward to 2013, I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to get a chance to get, you know, um, you know, down and dirty on a business. I wanted to, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit about me that I wanted to do something else, something, um, something that could challenge me. And, um, but I wanted to do something that I loved as well. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I love, I love wine. I love beer. I love all of these different things, but the access to market to those items are incredibly hard at times. And so I ended up focusing on beer, on cigars. Um, now I happen to also own a beer company, so it's cool. Uh, but it was cigars that made it in 2013 as part of like what I, something I really enjoyed and I got behind it, Antoine, and you know, the rest was history. So where did the name for the company come from? So it's from my, uh, my college days. I, uh, I was, I was uh, a smart ass in college. I, I, you know, just bust people's balls and just like, you know, shoot around and talk to people. It was like taking an Italian class. I ended up talking to one of my buddies and I knew that Fratello meant a brother, uh, Fratello meant brother in Italian. So I was like, hey, my fratello, get over here. Let me ask you a question. So people were like, what the hell is that? Like people just don't know. Um, so it was like, you, you just called people brother in, in, uh, in the DR. And so people started calling me my fratello. I was like, no, 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 calling me my fratello. Like I'm calling you like fratello <laughs> just so I can explain the message. And the, the moment I saw myself explaining what fratello meant, immediately I knew it was crude, man. I knew that you don't pick your nicknames when you pick your parents in life, bro. And that is exactly what happened to me. 
Wow. <laughs> I remember my first encounter with your brand and, and I think you was probably at Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival 2015. It was my first time they let me out into the wild uh, to take pictures and get to know people. And yeah. I remember stopping by the booth and, and interacting with you and your team at the time there. And it was a very different brand because I always look at branding as a graphic designer. And so I would notice, you know, like you see like the very ornate um, brands and cigar bands. And then yours is like, again, like you do kind of think of like the little, uh, the, you know, college, exactly. The college kind of frat uh, mentality. So I always thought it was like really different and it was good because you kind of want to distinguish yourself in the market. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, it took, it took quite a, it took uh, six months uh like you know pretty a little bit over six months to um come up with a brand and um i wanted something different i wanted something that was new york it was uh you know barber pole camaraderie i wanted something that was you know radio city you know i love the red love coca-cola all these different things so i i told all these ideas like i want you to just like you know give me a let's work on a brand that you can identify if you're smoking a cigar that you don't have to double count and say, is that, is that a Fratello or is that? So I think we created uh, uh, something very unique. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest props uh, that I was given was by um, um, Jonathan Drew. He, he looked at my brand one time and he approached me. I remember this. It was in Wichita. And, um, and everybody's surrounding him. Everybody wants a piece of Jonathan. And he comes over. And I've never met the guy, but obviously I knew who he was. And he was like... You got a million dollar brand on that cigar. Good job. And then he just leaves. And then he comes back and says something a little crazy shit. But it was so much fun. It was great. It was a, it was a, it was a, like a medal of valor when you, uh, when you are just starting off, not even a year in business, and you got a guy that uh, transformed our industry to tell you something like that. That was amazing. So what, what was that first year like? because as being just like a brand owner, because I'm sure you look back on it now, probably with a completely different perspective, but I'm sure as you were going through it, maybe you had some second <laughs> second thoughts about certain yeah. things in the industry. It was tough, bro. It was <laughs> tough. Like uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I, um, the, the cigar that I, when I started Fratello, I started working with Hoya de Nicaragua and Esteli. At that time, Hoya Nicaragua had an agreement with Drew Estate where they, where I was unable to say where the cigar was being made at. I, uh, I was able to produce a cigar with them. I just couldn't. And this was a, an agreement, I think. It was negotiated between Dr. Alejandro Martinez Cuenc, uh, I think it's Steve, Steve um, um, from Don Barton, you know, uh, was involved mm -hmm. in the whole process and everything. And I, I, I just couldn't say where the cigar was being made at. And so try going to a cigar shop and saying, hey, that's for you to carry my cigars. And the guy's asking you, what do you, where do you make your cigar at? I'm like, I cannot tell you. I'm sorry, but uh, I would love for you to carry my progress. I think it's amazing. Just know that it's really good. So the guy would have it. And so the, the, the product definitely spoke for itself, which I think was huge. Um, and then fast forward to a situation where I was able to like, you know, get the brand out from the get-go at the uh, PCA, I was at this trade show. It was my first trade show was uh, IPCPR at that time. And 
um, I thought that I was literally, I, I thought I would strike gold. Like two weeks before, I had made a presentation to somebody local here in Maryland, and they gave me a $2,200 order, um, which at the time I thought it was like, wow, this is incredible. People want my stuff, man. And okay, I was so excited. I got him, I got the order out. I'm thinking I'm coming into the trade show where there's hundreds and hundreds of shops that I'm going to be able to, you know, do a good introduction. And um, it was a little harder than, uh, than I had anticipated, to say the least. <laughs> um, they don't, people are, are not as willing to give you a shot if you haven't had a chance to be around for a little bit longer, um, especially legacy shops. Uh, but on my first trade show, man, I mean, I hustled so much to the point that I had accounts like John Delicator Scraper, one of the oldest tobacconists in the United States, doing uh, uh, Gary and Fratello, Nat Sherman, the townhouse. You know, my first trade shows, Gary and Fratello. So I think a combination of the cigar being as good as it as it is, plus obviously, you know, the fact that people saw something different with Fratello and our branding. So I appreciate you saying that, the comment you said earlier about, about Fratello and the brand and and how, how easy and simple and how good the brand looks. Uh, because it really did speak volume to what we were trying to do. And so we walked out of that trade show with over 30 accounts. And then after that, it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, basically working for NASA full-time, 12-hour days for three and a half years. And then traveling on a Thursday night, working remotely on Friday, selling, selling cigars Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and doing it again the week after that. So three and a half years later, defunct marriage, you know, Omar is fat and... I got a multi-million dollar brand. So I guess uh, some things do pan out for a reason, right? <laughs> I like that idea though, that you, I mean, there. I think there's some people when they start a business, they think that business is gonna carry them. And obviously you were smart enough to know that you probably needed to continue to work at yeah. NASA until, you know, things got situated. So what was that? I mean, that's this part of the entrepreneurial journey of, of the side hustle turning into a full-time thing. So did, yeah. did you set any goals for yourself at the beginning to kind of say, I'm going to give it this amount of time or I'm going like, I need to hit this number in order to do it. Or were you just really treating Fratello as its own business? You were just having to divvy out the time between the NASA thing and, and it. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. When I started Fratello, I started as a second secondary source of income. I was thinking, this could be pretty cool. Let me see how it does. Let me see how I do. But then when I made the first 30,000 cigar purchase, I'm like, um, my bank account went from this much to uh, $2,200. Okay. Yeah, I got to do something to sell this product because otherwise um, I would be murdered and hanged in many different ways. So I, I definitely hustled it, man. I definitely went... I would meet people on a Saturday. I would travel three or four hours to sell two boxes of cigars on a Monday night, trying to like get people to buy my product on Tuesday, go to Maryland, leave NASA at seven o'clock, get home around 1230. I would wake up with like midnight sweats just thinking, how the hell am I pulling this off? And then waking up at six o'clock in the morning the next day to go to NASA and do my job. So um, it was definitely hard. It was definitely a hustle that I I don't know if I can go through the same hustle now as I did then, 
because I feel like the hunger changes and the priorities change. And for me now, my priority is to scale Fratello to levels that it can not only continue to move through the different points of sales that we already have, but continue to expand our footprint and get our brand to as many people as we possibly can, get people to come over to the humor and say, hey, do you carry Fratello? I'd like to try this brand and uh, get people excited about uh, about you know trying the different flavors and the different notes that you're able to pick up on our Fratello cigars. And you talked about the resistance you encountered in the market when you were first a new brand. So I think a lot of people who start businesses encounter that resistance. And how did yeah. you, how did that, res, like, I don't want to say rejections or no's, like how did that impact your, your headspace? And how did you get beyond that in, in order to kind of keep going forward? Because I know a lot of people, like I said, it gets, it completely gets to them and it's hard for them to kind of continue onward. Yeah, um, no, that's a great question. I got I got so many no's I can't begin to explain to you, but the worst, the worst by far from a no from a retailer or a consumer that didn't enjoy your product or whatever was the naysayers um, in your inner circle. You know what I mean? That was that was the toughest one for me, man. It was like, you know, saying, oh my God, this XY person is so close to me and they know who I am. They know my work ethic and they still think I can't make it. It it did two things. It brought me down. It brought me down a lot. Okay. Like a lot. And so to me, that was a huge impact. Um, but it also fed me and fueled me. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. If, if, if I would not have had those people you know, kind of putting me down, saying, are you crazy? First phrase, you're going to be in the back. You're screwed. Get ready for three, four years. I'm not getting a single order and spending thousands of dollars on this. And I will come out of these meetings and I'm like, I'm, this is going to be a failure. I just literally put all my money in this and more. And I put in an enormous amount of like time and family and all these different things. And, and so it was tough, man. But um, I, I feel this kind of stuff fuels me too, man. So I'm not gonna lie about that. I think it's the kind of stuff that makes me want to take over and just keep going, man, and keep going hard. And um, when people would tell me no at a, at a, you know, don't even, you know, everybody's like, you know, they got their their, their booklet and say, okay, so you're gonna go to this uh, market? Oh, let me tell you, bro. Let me tell you, this right here, don't even don't even bother visiting them. This one right here, you see, this is the, the number one. I don't even go there either, man. They're, I don't ever bring boutiques. I never do anything. Go to this one right here. Go to this. Go to this. Yeah, those are really good ones. You'll definitely land those. I'm good, good accounts. So I would do the opposite. I go to the other ones because everybody was either afraid to go or, you know, intimidated or they didn't want to have to deal with, like, a rejection. To me, it was hell, man. It's just I, I'm going to go to – I'm going to go to – whoever I feel could do a really good job for Fratello and getting the message um, of our product to the consumer. Because Antoine, we're a suggested sale, man. That's, I mean, people need to understand that we as brands do not carry the legacy of 40, 50, 30, 60 years, 100 years in business. We just don't, right? I mean, look at, you think you go around looking at Coca-Cola and you probably see Coca-Cola every single day of your life. Everywhere you see Coca-Cola. could be an ad. It could be something on that somebody's drinking, what it, I can guarantee you, you're probably seeing Coca-Cola every single day of your life. This was not done overnight. 
So you think Coca-Cola is all of a sudden going to be like killing it? It takes an enormous amount of time and an enormous amount of effort and an enormous amount of investment to get obviously to some of these, you know, to get get through some of these hurdles. Um, but I I believe that Fratello is 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 growing to the point that I can honestly say that I can you know not only expand on our team, which is something that I've always been very careful about, but we have now two positions that we're going to look to hire in in the market one in uh texas um another one uh, you know in a different part of the country and we're looking to do this so that we can get a chance to get fratello um constantly moving and traction um at the cigar shops to to get our growth to where it needs to be so it's exciting stuff man but it's not easy bro what you said reminded me of something i was uh listening to on sunday um it was somebody speaking about encouragement and how we don't think about, we don't value encouragement in our society as much as we probably should. And you never think that just a few words of encouragement can like do wonders for, for people. And it's the same for businesses. Like you don't get compliments, you know, all the time in, in business. You just don't in with your job. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, like I work in a bubble sometimes. So yeah. I encourage myself. So yeah. It's just it's important to think like your stories. Don't let that lack of encouragement, even from your inner circle, kind of stop you from pursuing whatever it is that you need to pursue. So I think that's a good lesson to kind of take away um, from your story. Yeah, it's 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 definitely it's definitely. I mean, it was harder than I thought to kind of swallow um, because it brought me down. I did. And, and it takes a lot to bring me down, man. First of all, because I'm six, nine and way too high up here. So, you know, so you have to really use a lot of force to like bring me down. But once you do like for me to stay down uh, long, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I work really hard, man. I, I, I believe that if you put it in, you know, a little bit of time, a little bit of work, it comes to fruition. Right. I mean, and so, you know, it's, 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 but it's also like, I can tell you there was, Three people in my entire in my life, three people that said, Omar, you should you should definitely quit NASA and do this full time. Um, when I was about to make the decision. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, they made the decision probably in the worst time in the industry, as <laughs> I remember, which was 2016. I had uh, Rocky Patel here, uh, Glenn Case from Christoph. I had uh, the CRA guys, and it was a huge meeting. It was about three weeks before I leave before I left NASA, and I told the guys like you know, I'm looking forward to going in full throttle and doing this full time. And they were like, what? Rocky was like, what? <laughs> crazy? You crazy, man? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. It's like, and then Glenn Case was like, coño, coño, over. No. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it worked out pretty good for my favorite because there was one thing I knew about those regulations is that the government not only moves not, not only were there so many gaps in that regulation, but because I read the whole thing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but there were also, um, you know, the government moves slow. And that comes from my government experience. I figured we should have been out of business by 2018 uh, by now, but we're still uh, we're still plugging along. So, and I think we still got the longevity in front of us. So hopefully that's the case. Well, especially in the tobacco industry, because with um, vapor and e-cigarettes included in the tobacco deeming stuff, I think <laughs> that um, until they completely dismantle that industry, I don't, I don't think the cigar industry has a lot to worry about until they 
have nobody else left to focus their attention on. So yeah. it seems to, uh, like you said, have extended out the, the lifespan of the cigar industry, which is good because you've been able to kind of get traction in the industry. Now people know you, you have a following. So yeah, for sure. No, and it's, and it makes a big difference, man. It makes a, it makes, you know, hopefully uh, they can turn their attention to other, other substances that are getting legalized and they can let us go for a little bit and, not against anything against pot smokers. I love you know, love you guys, but just saying. Let us let us <laughs> let us let, let us up the hook for a little bit. We could use a break. So to switch over about the products. So you work with you said Hoya and La Aurora, which I've seen you at the La Aurora factory during Pro Cigar 2020, yeah. right before the world shut down. I think I saw you. I think it was that Pro Cigar. If it wasn't that, it was Pro Cigar 2019, but I'm pretty sure it was the 2021. So, so what's it like working with these humongous factories? Because we always hear from the perspective of the factory of bringing in somebody and, and making a cigar. But what was it like kind of going to these factories and kind of presenting them with your idea and saying, I have an idea for a blend? Like, how long did that whole process take? Um, it, it, it was a long process. Uh the, the the length of the process was more finding who your partner is because I consider Hoyo de Nicaragua and La Aurora my partners in, in business. Um, these people manufacture the product that I so carefully uh, was able to not only pick out, but also also put our life, you know, and soul and sweat and tears into this, right? So, you know, entrusting somebody to do the manufacturing of, of this was, to me, as hard to find and make sure that I was able to be, you know, I was, that I was give I was given enough reins for me to grow and to play with the tobacco and learn. Right. Cause I mean, I'm still, you know, I've been doing this for over almost 10 years now and I still don't, you know, so little, there's so much yet to know about this. And I just, I want to be given the opportunity to learn. I want to be given the opportunity to play. So if you give me those two things where I can, where I can, and I'll be happy. And so they, they have, and I, I got incredible leverage to work with the two, all the cigar factories in Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. So I think it's awesome. So getting down to the products, tell us about what, you know, different cigar brands you have in your portfolio and yeah. kind of how you just describe it to those people who have not tried Fratello yet. Yeah. Tell you what, let's make it more interactive. How's that? Let me bring you around. I feel like we're on like an episode of MTV Cribs, which is like I awesome. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So it's one of my one of my uh, things that happened. I'll show you this real quick. This is uh, this is one of our humidors, right? So you get a chance to uh, you know some of the cigars that we've launched in the past. You know, are like I'll pull these ones out right here just to kind of show you a little bit about what we got, but. Yeah, antique crib actually would be like the best way to describe it. It keeps it interesting. <laughs> I won't show you where the magic happens. How's that? <laughs> oh, shoot. There you go. All right. So this is the Fratello Classico. This is the original uh, cigar that we ever launched uh, in our company. Um, this particular one is the Fuoco line. Um, but the, the Fratello Classico is a cigar that, to me, um, 
basically exemplify everything I want in a cigar. I want a medium, full body, full flavor, cigar, balanced, complex. And that cigar, I made it in Joya de Nicaragua, in Esteli. And for me, producing that cigar had a lot to do with the people in the factories, you know, learning from them, understanding what they were doing. Jose Blanco at the time, um, just a good friend, uh, was working at Joya de Nicaragua and working on this cigar. So what I ended up uh, doing with um, with Joya was come up with a product that, you know, if I couldn't sell the 30,000 cigars that I had produced, then I have 30,000 cigars to smoke for the next five years. You know what I mean? Okay. So, but it was an expensive endeavor because, you know, it would have it would have kind of sucked. But I sold everything I had within eight months of business. So I was pretty happy about the kind of the movement that we had. But this was the cigar that made it happen for us. And it's the classical line. Um, and it's one that I, people haven't tried. I think you should, you 100% should seek it out. It's got tobacco from Peru, which is very aromatic. I love Peruvian tobacco because of the sweetness and the flowers that come with that tobacco. So very, very unique. Um, then in 2015, I launched the Fratello Bianco, which is my Maduro. So this is a cigar that I was very, very proud about launching. It's the, it's the first time I've ever used tobacco from five different countries. So we put Mexican wrapper, we could Dominican tobacco, we put actually Pennsylvania, USA tobacco back in 2015, right? Which now is very popular, but uh, I always made fun of that cigar because Mexico and USA have never gone along so well, buddy. Other than the Fratello Bianco right there. No wall, no wall, but it's good. <laughs> and then the Fratello Oro was the one that I launched in 2016 with La Aurora Factory. Five tobaccos from five different countries as well, and um, and this is another cigar that I am fascinated about. Um, Cameroon tobacco is the most expensive tobacco in the world, so people are looking to try some of the stuff that we have. This is definitely like within our core line. Uh, some of the introductions to Fratello for sure. Now, when you make cigars, do you make them for your palate, or do you try to blend them for other people's palate? Yes, it's it's all based on the fact that if I don't like it, I can't sell it, period. So I got to love the cigar. Um, and a lot of times it's, uh, you know, people see your vision. It's it's scary at times because you're, 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 man, you put your hat on soul, dude. We had, we went through 56, 56 different iterations of blends with this cigar because we were using so many different tobaccos. So any little thing, could affect the flavor, right? So, and and also, I mean, the fact that I was, that was the first cigar that I wanted to have, like, kind of like my emblem, like my, my, my soul. And I put a lot, a lot of, a lot of effort into it. It took me a long time, but um, it came out incredibly successful as part of our core line. The Fratello Bianco is, is, is having a very unique taste. So um, it's always very scary, Antoine, to like launch a cigar and, you wanted to know if people see your vision, if they saw what you were looking to do with a cigar, or is it just something that, you know, those, well, it is what it is. Well, you know, they, they just move on. But people had any idea how much of an effort it takes for us to get a cigar from the ground to where you're enjoying it in your table or, you know, with your friends or whatever. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. And I always say on deep cuts, it's like when you speak to different brand owners, you know, that's part of the story that unfortunately kind of gets lost because so much of with this digital age that we're living in is focused on what's new, what's new, what's new. Yeah. And you had a press release and you get like 
24 hours of good press. <laughs> and then uh, by the next day, even sometimes it's like old news and, you know, people have moved on. So yeah. how you kind of that, that momentum going, kept people interested in products that you've released years ago. Cause I think that's a, a big challenge that a lot of business owners, whether they're in the cigar space or not kind of struggle with, like, how do you make something a little bit older, still feel new and relevant today? Yeah, no, there, there are a lot of brands that are launching to the market and, and the way it works is they launch a brand and then you see them grow and then all of a sudden they start going down and you launch another one and it kind of meets at half point and that's, that's kind of how you keep the start, the cycle moving. For me, that's not an option. Um, for, for, for me is I'm, I'm sticking to my, I'm sticking to my cigars. Uh, I think when people ask me a question of like, Hey, do you have anything that's new? It's like, have you had the Fratello Classic or Corona? I said, isn't it the one that you first launched? He's like, yeah, I think I had that. I said, maybe you need to try it again and revisit it, you know, because, you know, if it's not in your rotation, then you need to try it again and see if it's something that that could be or not. Or or you may have, you know, breezed through the brand because you may have not liked the 6 by 60 Gordo or the box press torpedo. But if you try the Corona, you might actually fall in love, right? Because every single Vitola kind of has its own identity. Um, in place of its own identity. And so it's uh, the one question that I love when people ask me is like, what's your favorite Vitola in this blend? And I always say, I got a favorite Vitola in every single one of my cigars. So it really does depend. And I don't think a lot of people even think about that really in the cigar consumers. You always think about how the wrapper changes the cigar or how the filler changes the cigar. And not enough people kind of think about how the size of the cigar might change your whole smoking experience. You know, like... Yeah smaller it is it might be a little bit more harsher compared to a larger size and it's just strange like i said there's so many interest like intricate areas of the cigar world that don't get spoken about because we're all kind of in a rush to get new products on the market and promote things but it's a lot like you said even people though people might think they've experienced something fully they should go back and revisit that even if it's as another size or you know different rapper yeah. of a cigar completely changed the whole experience. Yeah, no, for sure, man. And 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 it's and it's something that I always encourage, you know, customers to ask, even their tobacconist, because they 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 the tobacconist is the is where the tr- it's where the trust lies when it comes to the consumer. The consumer goes to a cigar shop and he's going to his local cigar shop in his local city, or he's hanging out and smoking like 90% of the time. That's what the, that's what the case is. So if that guy is able to spend it, to spend his time not only teaching that person and going over with that person of how unique a cigar, you know, like how, how different that person's palate is versus the cigar that, it, you know, he's about to enjoy, but also get a chance to understand, you know, the Vitolas and transmit that message. You know, I think the, the stronger that the backhandist is, is able to to even you know further or even better you know transmit that message. And I think I think that's what consumers are looking for. The consumers are looking for somebody. Not only they 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 not only will they place their trust in you, but they're also looking to see how you can learn from you know what they enjoy and recommend accordingly. You know, we have some comments that have come through in the last couple of minutes. One of them. Right. From Louis Toro Jr., who says, I'll be trying my first Rotello cigar uh, later today. I have a Classico that a buddy hooked me up with recently. So I'm sure as a, for a brand owner, that's always exciting to, oh, to hear. 
that people oh. are, you know, still discovering the brand and, and trying it out and uh, recommending it to their friends and stuff. I think word of mouth is probably probably the most powerful form of marketing you can have because people buy from people. They don't really buy from brands or even yeah. from a, a, you know, picture on Instagram, like they trust other people. So if you can get somebody to really promote your brand or your product, um, that's the biggest endorsement that you can get. For sure. Um, one Absolutely. of the other comments came in from just somebody saying hello, but I'm sure you know this person, Karen yes, Berger. Yes, yes, I got him. So it's fun to, to for Karen to watch and support. She's been a big supporter of Deep Cuts and uh, all these different boutique or smaller brands. I know that that's her thing down in her store, Don Kiki. Yeah. And I heard you, I was listening to your, your recent uh, interview you did with the Hot Ticket guys, um, their podcast, and you were talking about how that's part of the industry. Not a lot of people know that it's such a friendly industry, whereas in other businesses, like you would never think about speaking to your competitor or yeah. being friends with your competitor or, or just interacting with them. But here in the cigar industry, that's kind of the common way, like if you're the more you separate yourself from the collective, uh, it seems like the, the more kind of like your, your pull in the industry goes down. So just talk yeah. about that part of the industry, like the relationships, like, cause I don't think people like really understand how relationship driven this industry is. Yeah, no, I'll tell you this, man. I, um, I, was, I was glad that, that I saw Karen's comment because I think it's a lot of people, a lot of times, you know, when you're looking into, into an industry, I think this is one of the very few industries that um, not only I'm not going to say that people are free willing, you know, giving every information out and it's all bells and whistles because that's not obviously the case. Uh, but you forge great relationships with your competition, and that is definitely something unique. Don't get me wrong; I think everybody out there knows who their competitors are, but I think everybody, not only um, in in most cases, respect. Um, the people that have been able to make it and have longevity, um, and but also the people that are that are still trying and still trying to to get their brands to grow, like Fratello, like you know Nicholas, like uh, Caldwell, like Karen. Um, I mean, there's so much uh, to there, there, there's still so much to be able to provide and for people's creativity to kind of blossom. Um, but I do love every single time I get a chance to see, um, you know, cat and cigars, you know, being sold in, in, uh, in, in this location, House of Cigars and, and you know, with Dia Ballon or seeing them at Old Virginia Tobacco here or, uh, or, or, you know, bumping into Caldwell, you know, a couple months back, you know, because we were both working a particular event. So, and, 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 and these are people that I, I, I personally think are doing incredible things. Um, and so are we all trying to get a piece of the market? 100%, right? I mean, it's, it's the key though. And the, the biggest thing is, you know, it's, it's a very, um, at NASA, we're known as a noble agency because we're, we don't have war or conflict as a mission, right? I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're looking for space exploration and research, right? When it comes to the cigar industry, I think we're, we're in the same boat, man. We're in a noble industry. This is a, uh, there are way more cutthroat industries in this world, like perfume or alcohol or probably everything else. 
Um, but when it comes to cigars, I think, you know, we are, we're kind of like in a league of our own where people, um, there's a lot of respect. They're very, we're very family oriented. Um, but it's, it, it also comes to, you know, don't mistake, don't mistake people's intentions. People are trying to, you know, sell, grow and, and, and have their cigars be the best that they can be. And, and, and that should never be taken. I don't ever take that for granted. It's, you know, all contrary. I actually take it as a, as something that fuels me to do better. So. So going off of that, when you think of competition in business, what's your take on that? Is it necessarily a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Like, how do you kind of use competition to build up Fratello? I love it, man. I think it's, um, I think it's, it's, it pushes me. It, when I see somebody else kicking my ass and I know they're kicking my ass. I'm sorry for the language. When they're, okay. I know when they're going after me and doing certain things, I, uh, I, I, I want to, I want to push myself to do better. I want to get my brand to, to, to grow further. Right. And so if somebody else is doing something that is very unique, then I want to, I want to do something that is even more unique, something that, that I can create with my team, with uh, Dennis, Mariela, Gabriel, and, and and things that we can that we can not only all get behind, but that we all believe um, that at that moment is the best thing that we can do. And if I can continue to do that, I mean, you know, how much can you push yourself if you have if your competition, is, you know, is not doing great things? And I don't know, man. I love it. I love seeing what, you know, when, when you guys have your awards um, and, and I see, you know, what what people are getting praised on and whatnot, it, you know, it obviously resonates. And same thing with the comes to cigars. If somebody's getting the number one cigar of the year and I want to see, you know, how and why are these people getting some of these recognitions and what can I do to 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 be better at it? So um, but but to but I'm not gonna lie. I think it's a. I think we are in a noble in a noble industry where, you know, people call themselves brothers and sisters. I mean, what the hell is that? It's like, well, give me another industry of people calling themselves brothers and sisters. Let me get the hell out of here, right? There doesn't happen as often, right? And we're talking people you've never even met. That a guy hugged me at TPE and say, Omar, I say, yeah. It's like, my man, dude, I, brother, I love your cigars, man. He's giving me a hug. And I'm like, well, damn champ, I love it too. I appreciate that. We have something in common. Let's have a conversation. And we're off to having some drinks. And so it is, to me, mind-boggling how that happens. Um, but it doesn't surprise me because I was telling the guys at Hot, uh, Hot Ticket Podcast uh, something that is so true. It is the only industry as well. And I challenge them, and I'm going to challenge you and see if you can come up with with an answer where um, two people with probably the most diverse income would ever, ever be sitting in the same place together, probably smoking or doing the same thing um, and having a lengthy 30, 40, 50 hour minute conversation. Um, it's not that many, man. It doesn't happen in the ballpark because that guy... That guy who just done dropping off packages at UPS, making $25,000, $35,000 a year. And the other guy that was literally sitting right in front of me that was, you know, the owner of the entire building is probably making $2.5 million, will never, ever be in the exact same spot ever again and having an open conversation. 
and these people were smoking my cigars. So we're having, we're talking, we're chilling, and it's a great environment. People are buying cigar boxes. Both of those guys bought boxes of Fratello. Where does that happen? You tell me they're going to be sipping on the same wine. You tell me they're going to be sitting in the same, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, ticket in, 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 in an airplane. You know what I mean? It's It just mm-hmm. doesn't happen. So I think it's very unique. Yeah, and that's why, like you kind of said in your, just now, that's why we in the cigar industry have brothers of the leaf and sisters of the leaf. And that's not something that you have in a lot of other industries. You don't have like brothers of the bottle, <laughs> <laughs> sisters of the bottle. Um, maybe it's like an unspoken brothers thing. Of the cricket next to me, or right, you know, brothers of the opera does not happen. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a very, like I said, unique industry that you just don't understand until you've kind of been in it for a while and really get yeah. to know it. So the money. Uh, well, listen, I could be making 20 times what I'm making right now, guaranteed, period of story. But it's like, and I've had people that have approached me say, hey, you know, I love the industry. I would love to get in, da 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 You know, but I'm making this much right now. And I'm like, dude, you're not going to make that here, man. Keep If you want to keep the, you wanna give the money, get that job. Like, but people are willing to to to, I guess you know, walk out of two hundred thousand dollars a year to you know sell cigars. So <laughs> I guess I guess that kind of applies to me, right? So people are willing to take that leap because of the unique aspect of what we do. So. Definitely, I think it's it's passion is required for this because yeah. if you're getting into cigars as a brand owner, thinking that you're going to make you know all this money. I've yet to encounter anybody yet. <laughs> Even people who've been in the industry for years or decades who are just rolling in the money. It's, yeah. it's a passion project and passion kind of industry. Like I say, you're getting in it because you love it for some other reason yeah. other than the money. And then even those people who make the money, and then it's like, it's, it's like this kind of hamster wheel of, how do we keep up making this money? Because it's, it's nothing that can you can like really hold on to like once you do start making it. So it's definitely a, a, like a unique industry that for people who really want to get to know something very interesting, cigars are, are definitely that thing to kind of watch and see. Um, at this point in the show, I usually like to ask, give a little bit of advice. Have you give people, the readers, readers and listeners and watchers of all this content that's going to come out of this interview uh, a little bit of advice. So one of the uh, first questions I'd like to ask is what's something that you had to learn in order to become better at being the brand owner of Fratello? Uh, organization. Um, it's uh, an accountability. Those are the two things that I've, I've, I, I, I work on every single day, man, every single day. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called atomic changes. Um, and 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 it's uh, it's it's based on how do I constantly try to be more efficient, uh, more lean about my business and my approach, and how do I not make decisions in a vacuum, right? I want to make decisions in a, you know, where, you know, Colin Powell said it best to me that if you, especially when it comes to decision making, that if you, you know, took in seventy five percent of all the information to make a decision, then you probably waited too long. Um, if you, you know, make a decision with only 20% of the information, then you probably, you know, t- 
took a hunch on that one and see how it goes. But making your, your decision close to 50%, then that's good enough information, especially in the battlefield, to 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 come out with something that is that that could be beneficial to to the end means, right? But uh, for me, it's organization and accountability every single time where you have somebody. I have uh, my my own self-appointed self, you know, board of directors. Uh, it's my cousin who's probably also one of the smartest people I've ever met, uh, and somebody who I who I trust in every decision making that I in every decision that I make. A lot of times we don't see eye to eye. A lot of times we do. And so what I've come to realize is that if I am able to be accountable to him every single month and, you know, uh, divulge my sales information, give them information about, give them information about how, what are the things that are coming up, what is some of the things that I'm struggling with, then it, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, makes me always, I owe, everybody always wants to look good when they're making a presentation, right? So I always try to thrive to make my PowerPoints very well, get everything and all my things organized. So organization um, and, and especially for entrepreneurs, accountability is a big, big, big thing because you can make the other very single decision you can and you want and you have the control of your own time. But if you don't push yourself to constantly be out there, it's it, you can you can get stagnant. And uh, that's not that's not or will ever be the stage where I would feel comfortable for Patello to be in. So if someone comes to you and they say, Omar, I have a decent job, but I want to go out. I'm thinking of, you know, going out and starting my own business. What advice do you give that person? Um, do you have a business plan? And that's the question. If, uh, if the answer is no, then, you know, I, I'm not saying that people can't do it. I'm saying you'll, you'll have a, a harder access to market. Uh, because the only thing that a business plan does, and you know, there's so many things that entrepreneurs and people can tell you about the way business runs. What the, what a business plan does for you is research. That's it. You know, like I probably five percent of my business plan probably came to came to fruition, but I did my job. I did my research. I knew how many people were in this industry. I knew how many cigars were being imported. I had so much information because I did a little bit more than the person next door. And if you look at, if you're looking and measuring success by not only longevity, but, you know, staying power and staying relevant, um, then we've done a pretty damn good job. And I feel like that would be the one for the first one thing that I would ask. And then, you know, if, if, if the answer to that question is yes, then how bad do you want it? And I think that's a that's that's important to to know what drives you and what pushes you, and 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 what gets in your nerves, man. And then and 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 if you have those things, then uh, you know you got you got something for you, and and you know the numbers and and your hustle will speak for itself, and people will know. You will know. So going off of that. Just curious, what's your why, or what's your, what motivates and drives you? Man, that's a. Uh, I don't know if I can tell you this. This is. <laughs> um, that is probably the first time in nine years that I've been asked that question. This is a good one, um, and I'm going to give you the. You know what? I'm going to give you the honest answer. I'm going to give you the honest answer. Um, it's 
100% obviously not money. It is definitely not money. Um, it is, it is, I am, I am driven by a variety of factors that can get me to the point of either excelling or going down a spiral um, tube that can bring me down as well. And I know this is a fact for, for the way that I just see things and I attack, attack certain things, but uh, I'm, I'm very passionate. I'm a very passionate guy. Um, you know, love or hate for a brand or, or, or for my own personal, you know, desires to achieve certain things in life, push me and drive me a lot. Um, it, you know, there was one time I can give you this example. Um, I think you'll really kind of get the message for it. Uh, but I was with my now ex-wife, but at that time wife, and we were coming out of a meeting, uh, there's a family dinner and there was a lot of conversation about, yeah, man, what the hell are you going to leave NASA and try and see, can, you can sell cigars and dude, that's not going to work. It, it was naysayers at the naysayers. And this is my closest inner circle. And I'm like about to throw myself from the Empire State Building. I can't handle it. Um, and I'm looking at this whole situation and saying, how the, do I do this? You know, and I, it was tough, man. It was really, really hard for me. So what I had to do was I went up the room and my wife uh, at that time was like, you need, you need to, this is the time where you got to show off, show them what you got and, and, and prove them wrong. And so that's all she had to do. And, you know, three and a half years later, after starting Fratello, I was able to leave in 2016 to, to be doing this full time. And I, I am proud of that. Um, I was the only brand that actually doubled down in 2016 and went full throttle into the industry. And it was because, you know, of that drive. So the way to, the way, the way to motivate me and what drives me is incredibly different from what motivates and drives other people. Um, but it is, it is something that I feel, um, will continue to bear fruit for Fratello going forward. Well, that's an awesome story. So thank you for answering that very personal question. Um, what's ahead for Fratello? Cause as we're filming, this is April 5th. So we have a, a big chunk of 2022 to still get through. And, um, yeah. like, I know that you're a forward thinking guy, so you're probably thinking of uh, April 2023 already and <laughs> and beyond. So, so what's ahead for your company that you can share with us today? Yeah, so a few things. Um, we're working on uh, a new limited edition cigar that is uh, that we're hoping to launch into market. Uh, you know, in time for a few things. And one of the things that is driving this as we are getting ready for our 10th year anniversary in 2023. Um, is is the preparation and the consolidation of our efforts across, you know, our brick and mortar shops, and um, and 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 the success that I feel we can we can you know have by extending you know uh, being more connected with our consumers. So between a new limited edition product, between uh, making sure that we go back to DPE, by the way, which was an incredible incredible experiences past years. I was glad we were able to talk um, at TPE in 2022. 
um, are some of the things that we're hoping will continue to 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 not only attend to, uh, but in as a business strengthen our processes and as a brand continue to supply uh, products that are you know of the quality that that our customers are expecting and that we you know uh, are expecting as well. So for me, it's it's about strengthening our processes, uh, making sure that our brand continues to grow and and have the legs international, but um, the biggest thing really has to do with, um, you know, coming out with, with products and new things that people, you know, can can understand where our vision was to be able to launch it in the market, so. Awesome. So for those people who are not watching this or who are listening to this, could you tell people what website and what social media stuff they need to follow in order to keep up with you and what's going on with Fratello? Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, so my my, you know, if you guys look us look us up on uh, Instagram on at Fratello Cigars um, and at Omar the Frias, please follow us. Check us out. Check out some other product. Um, I'll do a quick uh, plug for our YouTube channel. It's called Imperfect Pairings. I think it's pretty damn cool. If you guys are looking to see some interesting, you know, pairings, um, you'll definitely find it there. Karen was a uh, a guest in our show, um, and uh, we've gotten some interesting things out there between me pairing cigars with burgers and oysters, and you know, quite a few other crazy things. Jinjinha uh, in uh, Portugal, I think there's there's quite a few things that you guys will be able to enjoy. So hopefully, you get we get your subscription and uh, some of your followers to uh, to follow our brand, and uh, and hopeful, hopeful hoping that we can definitely make it back into the show and continue to interact with you and. And your viewers going forward well definitely i always tell people that you have a open invitation to come back so maybe later on this year we'll have to have you back and talk about some of the uh, new releases and uh whatever transpires between now and, and the end of the year which in this industry is could be a lot so so i'm sure we'll have something to to talk about when you come back on later on this year for sure um, with with this but i want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your story and talking about Fratello. Like I said, I've wanted to have you on for a while. And when I finally got this thing figured out and uh, moved the show off of Instagram Live, I was like, I feel like this is the time I could have Omar on. I didn't think you wanted to be like me and holding a phone the whole time. Uh, <laughs> it was not fun. Uh, it was good conversation, but it was just very difficult. So this yeah. new version is a little bit better. Um, so thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me over, Antoine. Anything else you guys need, please keep me posted. I look forward to hopefully uh, joining you uh, soon, okay? Yeah, definitely. For those people watching, just know that we do at least one show a week. Lately, we've been doing two shows. Um, it's going to be two shows basically all month. Uh, so we have another show coming up on Thursday. So uh, that will be at a very special time at 1 o'clock p.m. for those of you who want to watch live. It'll be with John Huber from Crown Heads. So that will be an awesome interview. Um, and for all the past interviews, I think this is episode 78. So for all the other 77 episodes, if you missed it, no fears. You can watch all the other uh, episodes on deepcutslive.com. They're available in both video format, so YouTube links, and also uh, they're available wherever you listen to your audio podcast. So Apple and Google and Spotify and iHeartRadio, all that kind of stuff. It's everywhere. So um, thank you again. And I look forward to connecting with everybody later on this week and online. And 
one more thank you to our guest, Omar, for coming on. And I will see everyone hopefully here on Thursday for the next episode. Thank you. Have a good day. Good night. Whenever you're listening to this, peace out. Bye, guys. Bye.